let's get going. All right, so welcome everyone. Happy Thursday, super excited to see you all. Um, I'm really excited to get started with today's subject. Oh, by the way, my name's Meg. I'm part of the Chat and Learn team here at Power to Fly. And I am super excited to get started and introduce you to our speaker and start digging in on these amazing questions that you all provided ahead of time. So we do have a couple of quick housekeeping items to go over um, that we will get started and that way you, uh, you know, have some kind of idea what we're going to cover. But um, let's get our housekeeping out of the way first. Um, so the first thing is that, like all of our virtual events, today is all about you. It's all about our participants, our attendees, and making sure that you all get as much out of these sessions as we put into them. So to that effect, um, you are more than welcome to turn your cameras on, come off mute, um, and write in the Zoom chat if you'd like to participate. But the biggest thing I have to tell you is if you have any kind of privacy concerns, um, the biggest thing you should know is that if you do come off mute, you will be visible in the recording um, or on our live stream that we're streaming to our site right now. So if you do want to participate, but you don't want to show up in the recording at all, not a problem. And you can turn on your camera without ever showing up in the recording. You just can't come off mute. Um, but if you want to, if you want to be like totally incognito, not a problem. All you have to do um, is don't come off mute and send any messages that, or questions or comments or anything that you have into the Zoom group chat. Now, if you are like deep cover and want to make sure that nobody knows that you're here, not a problem. You can send it, still send, you can still participate by sending any questions or comments um, to me directly instead of to everyone in the Zoom chat. So when you go to put your message in, just pick my name from the drop down menu, Meg Alexander, um, instead of everyone. So um, the other thing I do have to tell you is that today is being recorded. So if you, um, you know, want to, don't worry about taking feverish notes, or if you like hear something really great and you want to, you want to like tell one of your friends about it. Don't worry about it. So with the way this works is whether everybody that registered today, whether you spend five minutes with us, the full 60, or you didn't even remember to join today's chat, anyone that registered is going to get an email in about one to two business days with a link to the rewatch so you can watch the recording. It'll take you right to the recording. Um, if you are a little impatient, you can go to our YouTube channel because we'll be um, streaming this to our YouTube channel so it'll be available there quicker. Um, but you can feel free to send that, send that link to anyone you want, share it. Um, those videos live on our website in perpetuity um, and hopefully on our YouTube channel. They'll be there forever as well. They're always free to watch um, and we highly recommend that you share if you'd like to. Um, this also helps so that, you know, if you, uh, you know, didn't quite catch what somebody said or didn't quite, you know, hear the answer to that last question, um, you don't have to say like, oh, hey, can you go back or can you send me the recording? Because whether or not you, uh, you know, whether or not you, you realize it, everybody that registers gets a link to the recording. Um, Oh, last but not least, um, we went over a little bit um, of like, you know, muting and that kind of stuff. But the biggest thing I have to tell you is if you want to talk, awesome. We are loving, to get, you know, really excited to give you the floor. The biggest thing I can tell you is please don't interrupt Catherine, our guest speaker. Please don't interrupt any of the other attendees that might be asking a question. But if I'm talking, absolutely fair game. I get paid to fill the silence. So please feel free to interrupt me if you want to get your word in or get your question asked. Um, now the questions that we submitted here or that we have in a, you know, listed in a couple slides, we'll go over those in a minute. And oh, last but not least, keep up with us on social. So I mentioned our YouTube channel, which is at Power to Fly, but we are also at Power to Fly on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. So please feel free to take pictures or video, um, share and tell your friends that you're, you know, chatting and learning with Power to Fly today. 
um, just please tag us so that way we can help share the love and you know kind of keep spreading the word about Power to Fly. So to kick us off on today's session, I would love to introduce you to Katherine Evans of Primer. Katherine is an experienced engineering manager with a background in machine learning and data science, specifically NLP. She's currently managing the Analyze team, which is the primary product at Primer AI. She likes leading teams to solve ambiguous problems and has passion for working with data, machine learning, and natural language processing to make a difference at the product level. Katherine has a master's degree and a bachelor's of science from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So welcome, Katherine, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Meg, for that, that introduction. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here with Power to Fly. Um, this is, uh, here's the, the snippets of, of my background, um, but uh, just, just a little bit more about me. Um, I, I originally did my um, uh, undergrad and grad work in, in mechanical engineering and robotics, and my focus is now um, natural language processing. Um, specifically, some of the projects that I've I've worked on across my career in a few few different places. I've been I've been working in in um, uh, the NLP space for about five years now. I've worked on things such as entity resolution. Um, what this means is is this the same person being talked about across two different documents or three different documents, a whole collection of of documents and articles, and and things like classification. Um, so you know, is is this article or it, it about subject X, Y, or Z? Um, and so, so those are some of the problems I, I started out in my career solving, uh, worked on um, both in previous roles and currently. Uh, but today I've actually started focusing more on how we leverage these core NLP building blocks um, to build products um, that leverage text data to tell stories um, and make, make it easier to find kind of information that's the text information that's, that's relevant to you. Um, and so working, my focus is now around, around these products that, that leverage kind of um, core NLP building blocks and building teams around supporting these products. Importantly, these teams are, are often cross-functional, right? Um, understanding kind of core um, processing around text data um, is, is only one piece of the uh, puzzle. Uh, if you wanna build out a product, there's a lot of other, other pieces that need to fall in place, um, both from an engineering level and from a, um, uh, non-engineering level as well from a product and marketing and other perspectives as well. Um, so I think I've said NLP at least three times already. Um, and um, some of you may work in, in the field and some of you may be experts, but um, many of you may not. Um, and so for the sake of this talk, I'm going to keep, uh, I'm going to try to, to not get too technical. Um, if you're in the space and have detailed questions, um, feel free to, to message me um, after the talk or add questions in the chat. Um, so just a little bit of background though, um, NLP or natural language processing, right, um, is basically um, getting, getting computers to, to understand and process text data. Um, generally, we can think about two different sub, uh, subfields of this, right, there's, there's natural language understanding, right, which we can think of as, as reading, getting computers to read, um, and natural language generation, right, which is, is the writing component, right, um, and so the space has been around a while. Um, in recent years, there's been a, ta a ton of research um, and change in how uh, we approach this. Um, and the rate of innovation in the space is pretty high. Um, and this, this is an important field because there's a ton of text data being produced. Uh, just think about how much uh, new text is added to the internet each day. Uh, that's, you know, open data uh, that we can then process and understand. Um, meanwhile, you know, I don't know about you, but I can't read that much more than I could uh, the day, you know, a few years ago. 
Um, and so unless we have machines and tools that can help us get to the most important information, um, the difference between, you know, kind of what I can read um, versus the amount of information out there becomes quite significant. Um, and so when we think about it as a field, you know, um, natural language processing has a big impact in application. Often we think of things um, like chatbots and as personal assistants and things like Siri and, uh, and Alexa as, you know, kind of understanding your language and, and responding to you. Um, email suggestions are another great example. Um, that, those are some of the kind of core applications we think of in this space. Primer, on the other hand, um, tries to use basic NLP blocks to help uh, paint, uh, you know, compress some of the information that's out there in data sets. Um, one, you know, kind of great data set we leverage the bulk of our products off of is news, right? So try to understand all the different stories and events that are being talked about in the news. Uh, cluster them into groups so that there's cohesive structure around these, these um, uh, events. And then tell stories of how they're connected, right? So you no longer need to read all articles. You can read, you know, summaries of groups of articles and see what they're connected to. So when you find something that's of interest to you, you can then explore the topics that are that are similar to that. Um, so so that's a great example. You know, your use right is to talk about analyst. Uh, if your job is to read everything there is about subject X or person Y or region X. Um, we can help by compressing uh, the volume you have to do, volume of information you have to read um, into kind of um, succinct summaries um, and connected components and tell you who the key, key people involved are, key numbers, key things you would need to worry about if you're monitoring that, that area. So that's just a little bit about me um, and a little bit about uh, the space and a little bit about where I work. But yeah, I'll turn it back over to you, Meg. Awesome, thank you so much. Um, so the one thing I do want to tell you all before we get started with today's questions um, is that you are more than welcome to follow Primer on Facebook, on, on Facebook, geez, I'm so sorry guys, on Power to Fly. Um, so I'm going to put a link in the chat so that you know where to go to do stuff like that. Um, the biggest thing that I can tell you about doing like following um, Primer as a company is it's going to benefit you in a couple different ways. So um, it's a really good way to, you know, check out their company page and see, you know, you can learn more about the company there under company info. You can click the events tab to check out some of the events that they're have coming up. And then you can also look at their open roles there. So that's a really great place to go to like, you know, see at a glance what kind of jobs Primer has um, up on PowerFly right now. Um, but if you click the pink follow button, it'll be at like the upper right hand side of the header for Primer's page. Um, the coolest thing about that is it's going to put you on something called their follow network. So what that's going to do is it's going to alert you when Primer posts new roles um, or if they are going to be um, participating in events like today, events like our virtual career fairs, upcoming panels, that kind of thing. Um, and it's really nice because instead of cluttering up your inbox with all this other stuff, you're just going to find out when they have something new on the table. So that's really great. Um, the other thing it does is it tells Primer that you are really interested in working with them. So if Primer comes to PowerFly and is like, hey, we want you to source for this new job that we've got coming up, that follow network is the first place that talent advocates go to see if there's somebody who already has that skill set for whatever role they're sourcing and is already interested in working with Primer. So kind of works as like your friend at the company that both gives you a heads up of like, hey, they've got a new role that they're hiring for, so you don't have to keep checking, um, but it also tells Primer that you are super interested in them. Um, and like I said, you can follow a ton of different companies on Power to Fly. There's no limit, I don't think, to the amount of companies you can follow. 
and you can follow and unfollow at will. So if you, you know, maybe aren't looking right now and aren't, don't need to be alerted every time they post a role, not a problem, but you know, feel free to check out Primer um, at the web or the link that I've just put in, into the Zoom chat. Um, so as we get started here, this is gonna be the list of questions that we're starting with today. Um, we took all the questions that you guys had submitted, we compiled them, we tried to eliminate redundant questions and kind of um, put them into a conversational format. However, we, like I said earlier, this is all about audience participation. So we really, really, really encourage you to ask your question if you'd like. Um, and if you are unsure, like, you know, if you want to, you can take a screenshot of this page. Sometimes, you know, our more type A joiners appreciate that. Um, but you don't have to take notes, like I said. Um, this will just kind of give you a roadmap for things that we might, that we're probably gonna touch on in today's chat. Um, if you have a question that might fit in well, like towards the end of the chat, that way you'll know, like, you know, that, that kind of section or topic is coming up. Um, but like I said earlier, please, please, please know that we give, you know, primacy to the people that come to these sessions. So if you have a question and you want to make sure you get an answer to it, the best way to do that is either come off mute and ask Catherine yourself or to put it into the Zoom group chat, either publicly or just to me. Um, and I will make sure that all those questions um, get addressed. So to kick us off with our first question here, um, Catherine, this person had written in asking, what is the best way to get started in NLP and how should a banner navigate gaining experience in NLP? Or beginner, I'm sorry, not banner. My bad, sorry guys. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think, I think um, importantly, um, uh, as I started to allude to at the beginning, right, NLP um, is, there's lots of different ways to get involved with building NLP products, right? Um, so, you know, a lot of the recent conversation around NLP and when you Google it and you see it in the news, it's often dominated by, um, you know, kind of machine learning, some of the research areas and deep learning and things like that. But um, it's not a strict requirement that if you're excited about, you know, kind of this, this how do we, the, the idea of how do we process, um, get machines to understand some of the nuances in text, how do we get them to understand, um, do things like reading comprehension and writing, um, you, you don't need to be a machine, machine a deep learning researcher. There's a lot of interesting problems in that space um, for people of varying backgrounds. So if you're a, you know, a backend engineer and you wanna process, we wanna process a lot of text data, right? We're gonna need in, um, you know, information retrieval systems. We're gonna need um, you know, uh, databases and then data storage to, to access large amounts of structured information. Um, if we want to talk about connections between um, some of the, the data we've been able to structure from documents, we might, we, you know, we uh, might need graphs, right? On a front-end or UX side, right, um, text data is not normally uh, the most compelling kind of uh, thing to show a lot of, right? It's not particularly, um, you know, uh, kosher presentations or sites to have huge blocks of text. So coming up with novel ways of how we show that um, is really important. Um, same thing on, you know, infrasides, um, how you deploy if people have, you know, different types of, um, you know, documents or, or um, uh, want to run apps that are available to our customers at all times, right? Um, you know, making these products um, scalable and um, available to customers is important. So, so I think the, the best way to get started in NLP and, and definitely how, how I got started is, right, to take um, the domains that you, you currently have under your belt, um, the, the kind of experience you find and intersect it with the skills you want to learn, right? So if this is an area that, that is exciting to you um, uh, and you have, you know, skills in, in, in a different kind of domain, 
seeing, you know, what companies, projects, careers, um, you know, personal projects, if it is, um, are at the intersection of those skills you have and the skills you want to learn is a great way to get exposure to um, uh, individuals and people who are actually building applied solutions, right? Um, so that's, those are kind of um, some ideas, right? Um, to think about how you, how you as an individual can, can intersect um, those skills. That being said, that could be a, a longer term project, um, right? Um, could be, you know, take a little time to find, to find the right opportunity where that comes. In the meantime, you can, of course, you know, supplement with online resources. There's a good number of courses, um, blogs, how-tos, papers, et cetera, um, that, that talk about some of the fundamentals. Um, but I think one of, the, one of the key things that helps me individually, right, is getting as close to practical problems and practical applications um, uh, is, is extraordinarily helpful for my ability to, to learn and see how it's actually applied. Um, so, so that's, that's my, um, kind of suggestion there. Um, see, see how you can bring the skills you already have to, to this kind of domain because NLP can, building NLP projects actually requires a good number of skills. Awesome. Thank you so much for diving into that. I know it, like, some of these broad questions can feel a little bit like kind of unwieldy or hard to tackle, but it's really helpful to, you know, kind of start with the specific and then help branch out. So thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, so for this next question, this person wanted to know, can you tell us how you broke into the NLP industry specifically? Yeah, happy to talk about that. Um, so as I said, I started out um, doing uh, my schoolwork in mechanical engineering, did research in robotics, um, no text data at all, right? Sensors, output, numbers, no text. Uh, robots, robots, um, you know, uh, didn't didn't really have any text data to work with, and actually so much so that you know, um, in in my graduate school days and um, in my research, NLP was was not nonlinear program, uh, not was not natural language processing. It was uh, nonlinear programming, like that. They were different things, um, and it wasn't really on my radar, um, but. Um, you know, after, after graduate school, I decided I really wanted to um, focus on um, data science and getting into kind of um, uh, software development and tech. Um, and so I went to go work at a, a location data company, um, uh, working in kind of data science, right? Um, and this is actually, I think, a fairly common path for, for data scientists that, you know, in both um, that company and the company I now work, um, there's a wide range of backgrounds, often a lot of different um, sciences, a lot of different engineering disciplines, uh, sometimes, you know, um, not even, not even uh, science, um, but, you know, kind of social sciences, uh, linguistics, right? Um, uh, a lot of people come to data science from a, a wide variety of backgrounds. Um, the interest being kind of um, ability to, to, to look into the data, find patterns, find trends, find analyses that are, that are um, interesting to run and can bring insights. Um, so I did that at a location data company, and this location data company got a lot of its um, data from from scraping the web. And so what this means is to to text data. Um, so you know, uh, in location data, some is some is geospatial, some is um, uh, but but because our data source was the web, a lot of it was text, and a lot of it was the semi structured semi structured data, um, and. And I found it really, really fun um, because there's a lot of challenges, challenges associated with text and particularly text understanding, um, right? So oftentimes um, how we process text and how we structure text, right, is subjective, right? 
And so what do I mean by this? Um, you know, uh, what makes a summary good, right? Um, you and I might disagree on a number of a number of things as to whether or not it's it's a good summary for that document. Um, what is this document about, right? The topics I come up with might be very different than another uh, another person. So not only is this um, field of, of natural language processing kind of um, an interesting set of technical challenges in both the data science machine learning space, but also there's um, interesting kind of uh, subjectivity and ambiguity challenges that, that bubble up from the sake that, you know, the sake of um, reading comprehension and, and writing and a lot of these tasks are inherently not, um, not there's not one correct answer always. And, and a lot of what we do in, in the machine learning field or, um, uh, you know, a lot of the computer science field is expect algorithms or expect models where there is a correct, a correct answer or a correct approach. So it's a really fun um, field that combines the technical challenges of, of machine learning and um, uh, with some of the subjectivity that makes the, these problems particularly hard. Um, and so I was really excited by this field. Um, I happened to have um, you know, that, that experience and got excited to learn more and more about it. So I moved to a company in which the focus was really in this space and wanted to focus more and more on NLP. So what I did, um, you know, kind of how I got in was, was by um, slowly looking for the skills I wanted to build finding opportunities there. And as I found new areas that I wanted to dive deeper in, moving, moving to positions where that was the case. So awesome. Um, we did have a question come in while you were speaking. Um, Jacinta was asking, how can you learn NLP with a full-time job? Is this kind of a, a field that you really need to be able to dedicate your full-time interest to? Or is it something that you can learn, you know, kind of as you go someplace? Or should you really like, you know, maybe commit to like a boot camp or something that you can do in your spare time while you have a full-time job. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, Jacinda, did you, um, yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to hop in, but, but I'm happy to address this question. And I think, I think a lot of that depends on, on exactly what it is you, you, you want to learn in that field, right? If you want to become um, uh, a researcher kind of publishing papers in, in kind of the, the deep learning space of NLP, um, it probably requires um, a lot, uh, a lot, more time, right, than being able to pick up some of the, the kind of um, open source um, projects there are there and, and to play around with, with kind of some of the, the, the pieces that are uh, easily available. So um, I, I think, um, you know, it, part of it depends on the, the, the to what depth you want to learn and, and um, also, um, you know, how overlapping uh, your, your background is with some of the, the, the core NLP tools. What I will say um, is that there are a lot of um, open source uh, NLP solutions, um, right? Toolkits, um, modules, um, uh, blog posts, et cetera. So if you have, you know, a particular kind of project you want to work through, um, there, there are a lot of things that you can get off the shelf to start playing around with that data and start understanding um, bits and pieces. There's also a, a huge number of online courses that you can start to, to um, in, um, you know, start and see how, how invested in the space you, you want to be. Um, but there's an abundance of material at all different levels. Um, if, if you look online, be it from, from academic institutions who have whole courses on this, right, you can watch uh, to much shorter, you know, kind of introductory um, uh, several hours of, of, of um, you know, kind of basics of NLP um, and specific subsections of the NLP domain. So um, in many ways, NLP is a uh, 
huge encompassing area because there exists many different um, subfields within it, right? There's, there's a lot of um, things you can do with computational linguistics where you study kind of um, some of the rules-based approaches to, um, uh, you know, classic machine learning approaches where you have, um, you know, uh, feature extraction and, and you, you specify kind of the, the parameter, the, the features you want to put into your model to kind of the full where you, you know, have GPUs running lots of computation where it's, it, it may be hard to get, you know, all the data you need um, and uh, all the compute resources you need um, if you're doing it on your own. Excellent. Thank you for that great advice. Um, all right. So moving along to our next question. This person says, what are the code languages and technologies that you are currently using? What should I learn if I want to join your team in the future? Yeah, so I, I think this is a great question. Um, and so what I will say is, again, right now, I'm, I'm, uh, I talked a little bit about how um, important some cross-domain, cross-functional teams are. Um, that's how we've built ours for supporting a product, right? You need not only um, to build out kind of the underlying text processing algorithms, right? But you also need to be able to deploy it. You need to be able to store it. You need to be able to, um, uh, you know, display it in a, in a UI so that people are engaged. Um, and so there's a lot of different, uh, you know, parts of the stack, right? Um, from an engineering perspective um, that, that are important. Um, and so uh, again, if you're interested in a specific role, a specific piece, uh, piece of working at Primer, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out with, with your specifics and what kind of role you'd be interested in and the specifics that we have for that part of the stack. But I will talk about what I specifically use when I, when I work on um, projects, um, when I'm, you know, day to day, when I'm building algorithms or models for Primer's product. Um, and so for NLP, um, I use Python, as I alluded to before, there's a lot of open source tools uh, open source tools that make it really easy to play around and get started. A lot already built in. Things like Spacey, things like NLTK um, uh, are great, kind of um, have a lot of the building blocks built in um, to how you start doing text processing. There's also um, some pretty nice uh, tools out of, say, the Transformers, uh, Transformers repo, right? Which uh, Transformers package, which has, you know, basically as a new state-of-the-art model architecture is rolled out, somebody, they'll have it up and running so that you can start playing around with that. So um, from an NLP side, I use Python. People can do NLP in languages other than Python, although there is a lot of nice, um, uh, nice things that are Python um, specific um, and built to help NLP in that space. Um, obviously, you know, if you're processing data, right, um, great, it's great to get that data. It's great to, to kind of um, start processing that text. You're going to need a place to put it. So do a lot of interactions with databases, right? Um, writing, writing your data in. Uh, we use a lot of Postgres. Um, and also because we have a lot of text, we use a lot of Elasticsearch um, as data storage. Um, uh, those are just a few examples uh, across the stack. There's a, a variety of different other things that come into play. We use Go if we want our, our, our code to be a particular performant. Front end, we use a lot of React and JavaScript. Um, and we have a microservice architecture, um, which means we have a lot of deployments in Kubernetes and Helm and things like that. So really wide variety of things. Those are the things that I kind of um, high level um, that are important. What I will say generally across the board, right, um, what type of person does well, primers, a startup. And what that means is that it requires flexibility, um, right? Um, 
but what it does is give you an opportunity to have a lot of impact, right? So if you're curious and independent um, and driven, there's tons of opportunity for you to kind of uh, explore some of the data, um, drive solutions, um, architect things, and take um, features from zero to 80%, right? Um, build them, build them, uh, prototype and and build them um, to scales for our customers, which is pretty exciting. Um, as well as the opportunity to be involved with, you know, talk to customers and see how how um, things will get used. Um, one other important thing that I think is uh, always important about um, joining our teams, as I said, all most of our teams are cross-functional, um, and in particular. Um, people who, who are on our data science and machine learning side, others as well, right, come from a variety of different backgrounds. I came from robotics. Um, uh, I work with people who came from chemistry backgrounds, who come from astrophysics backgrounds, et cetera. Obviously, some from computer science and, and AI and NLP backgrounds as well. But um, one of the really exciting things about having a kind of diversity in backgrounds for how we approach these, these data problems and subjectivity problems is that there's a lot of different approaches um, to how we could solve solve these. And so a uh, really important skill is just the, the willingness to learn from others and the willingness to teach others, right? Um, coming from all these different disciplines, even, even if you're kind of new to the space, there's always interesting ways to think about how we solve a similar problem that can actually end up being um, for bringing new algorithms to, to this field. Awesome, that actually parlays really well into a question that was asked in the chat. Um, this person had asked, how necessary is a graduate degree in STEM or otherwise for long-term career growth in data science or NLP? Often you'll find many PhDs in the field, so I wonder if I'll ever really measure up if I only have a BS. Yeah, so I think that's a great question. And I mean, so, so I think the, there, there will be a, a wide variety. It's not uncommon to see people, um, as I said, kind of um, from who have very computational backgrounds um, uh, from, a, from a STEM field um, and some graduate work in, in data science field. That being said, um, you know, so, so that is common, but it's not uncommon to see people who, who have bachelors um, and who have gotten passionate about the subject and have worked in industry. Um, it's a trade-off, right? And it's definitely a trade-off um, uh, uh, between, you know, kind of uh, what, um, you know, particular part of this, this you wanna work in, right? So if, again, you're going into research, maybe it is a hard requirement, right? If you wanna, you know, uh, go out and build um, kind of the, the newest state-of-the-art models, um, maybe, maybe it is slightly more prevalent, but it's definitely not required that you have graduate degrees um, to progress in this field, I, yeah. Very cool. I know sometimes it can feel really daunting, especially when, you know, the people that you see in this field seem to be incredibly accomplished. And even just starting out in any field can feel kind of, you know, in, um, intimidating in that way. But it's, I feel like it's especially hard when it's like everybody has a ton of like, you know, extra letters after their name and you're like, oh, I don't have that. Like, you know, it's, it feels like you should have accomplished more than you've already accomplished, you know, at this point in your life. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that like comparing yourself to others is not, it's, it's a slippery slope, right? It's nice to be uh, challenged and, and encouraged to, to, you know, do more and push yourself and whatever, but you also want to make sure that you're not, you know, um, artificially thinking that you aren't going to venture up just because you don't have all the, all the, you know, alphabet soup after your name just yet. All right, so our next person asked, oh, actually, I just saw one come in in the chat. I'm so sorry. Um, so we'll leave this question for just a minute. 
Um, Diana is asking, do you recommend being a generalist or a specialist? Should we try to familiarize ourselves with many different aspects and directions of DS or try to get deeper knowledge in one field? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Diana. Um, and I think, um, uh, again, some of it will depend on the career path you see, you see for yourself, right? Um, that being said, I, I do think it, it's generally helpful to have, to have an area of depth, right? Something you know uh, well, something that you can bring strength to. Um, but that's only so good if you don't know how to integrate it with other solutions, don't know anything outside of that, and particularly at startup. Um, being, again, flexible, being able to pick up some of that, that um, uh, general journalist uh, traits is extraordinarily helpful in terms of driving impact. Um, so, so being able to, to you know, uh, prototype a feature out is, is really important. Um, I, I, I have heard, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, the idea of having, you know, one or two areas of depth and a few areas where you feel comfortable is, is, is I think um, the way I think about, uh, about what, you know, I want to progress in and how I want to pick up skills. Um, I do think it's Im important to feel comfortable in, in certain areas. It helps with that feeling uh, that, that we were talking about before. How do I know I qualified? How do I know could I compare to other people? You have a couple different areas where you know that you have um, exceptional depth um, or, or not even exceptional, but where you have depth that can make an impact um, and, and, you know, uh, is not something you get by, by just reading online, but it has, comes from experience and, 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 and seeing. Um, but it's also important to not be rigid and say, I only do uh, time series analysis for weather data and that's it, right? Like, uh, that's, uh, I mean, maybe it is if, if that's the, the job you want for the rest, um, for the foreseeable future. Um, but it's good to have some of that flexibility where you see kind of areas that are related, that skills that, that would build to the, the core that you have um, uh, and that make it easy for you to deliver kind of uh, features and impact and things like that. Okay, so coming up to our next question that I, you know, a little, uh, a little early um, kind of clicked over to that slide, but this person had wanted to know, are there any interesting podcasts, journals, or other resources that you would recommend to stay informed of in this field? Yeah, so if you're already fairly familiar with the, the NLP space, one particular podcast I like is out of um, Allen NLP. They have uh, what's they, I think it's called the NLP Highlights podcast. Um, and it has a, a pretty wide range of NLP topics. So they talk about applications in some episodes. They talk about um, data gathering and data sets, which actually I think is really exciting, right? Um, particularly, you know, um, data gathering and data labeling can be a, a particular hairy and, uh, uh, you know, uh, very important step in the process of any building any NLP solution, right? Um, your model is only going to be as good as the, the data you give it, right? If you give it kind of uh, horribly biased and um, really noisy um, and kind of um, uh, really noisy and, and you know, uh, inconsistent data, your model is not going to be able to pick up on the patterns that underlie kind of the, the answers there. So it's uh, really exciting to see that covered as well. It also covers, you know, novel model architectures, um, which, you know, uh, as I said earlier, the research field has, has been, um, you know, uh, pumping out papers after papers of, of um, you know, kind of the next newest model architecture, next newest trick. 
in making these kind of base NLP models, um, you know, uh, understand more core, more of the core of English language earlier, um, need less information to train, or in some cases need uh, tons more information to train, but but show progress in that place. So it's a it's an interesting podcast. It covers a wide wide variety of topics. Obviously, if you're really into the field, um, conferences are a great place to to look for the kind of themes that are coming out of them as well. Um, there's a, a whole bunch of um, uh, a few NLP specific conferences, um, uh, or if you're in, you know, kind of the subfield of um, ML or computational linguistics or whatever the approach is there, data science, right? There are some more kind of um, uh, discipline oriented conferences that still have a, a large NLP kind of impact. Um, if you're less familiar with the field or just starting and, and trying to get informed, uh, personally, I think finding kind of applied examples in areas you're interested in. Uh, a good place for just doing that um, and then links out from there is Medium, right? There's a lot of stuff on, you know, sort of towards data science um, or towards ML um, that, you know, if you're interested in a specific, you know, application, we'll have kind of often blog style, right, instead of reading the paper style, a little more digestible, a little more um, kind of applied approaches um, that can help link out to, to, you know, kind of some of the, the more interesting information. So. Your mileage may vary there, right? Like there's a lot on there um, and there's uh, you know, varying degrees of, of depth, but it's a, it's a good place to try to find something that, that's of particular interest to you and, and can um, you know, have some more digestible pieces um, to start. Okay, um, so a message that we just got in the um, chat, this person was asking if it's possible to find NLP that's related to medicine. Um, is there like, you know, are there certain areas or certain um, industries that have maybe, you know, more specific information or kind of more directional, um, you know, when it comes to like jobs or the pipeline for that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a good question. I, I will be honest, I'm much less familiar with the, the medical um, and healthcare industry in terms of um, NLP applications there. It is, they definitely, um, it's definitely, NLP is definitely involved in that industry, um, right? There's, uh, you know, processing uh, reports, um, uh, you know, uh, is a, is a, I know a big, uh, a big field there processing, um, kind of helping to, to figure out the text in kind of claims for insurance as well. Um, very like a lot of interesting applications and actually a lot of interesting challenges to that field itself. Right. Um, a lot of, um, a lot of the recent work in NLP and a lot of actually even historical work in NLP, right. Um, makes, uh, is looking for, um, is based off of the idea that we can turn these documents into um, uh, embeddings or, or um, you know, vectors of, of numbers, right? That's, uh, that's an important part of this. And um, if you're using very common language, so things like, you know, that, that we have easy access to, so uh, things that are generic, often on the internet, things that are often in, in novels or books, right? Things that are common words, um, you get to use, uh, you get to leverage some of these model, huge pre-trained models that are understanding of, of that vocabulary. In the medical and healthcare field, right, um, this, is, this is less common that, 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 you know, whatever super long medical term you get is going to be in the vocabulary of, of a pre-trained model. So it's, there's challenges that are very specific to that industry. 
as far as resources for that industry, I'm, I'm definitely not the best person to ask, but I'm, I'm sure you can find some of those. Awesome. Thank you so much for tackling that. Um, and it's really helpful, you know, especially when it's an area that you might not know that well um, to, you know, try and help out, help people out with resources and stuff. So thank you for that. Um, okay. So this person I wanted to know, what types of problems do you see this space focusing more on in the future and which industries? Do you think that some of these things will be trends for now or situations that'll stick around? Yeah. Great question. Um, and I, I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think it's a fad. I think every year more and more text data is, is growing. Every year we're getting more and more research, right? And the research is progressing. So more and more data is coming out, more new model types, new, um, new um, computational abilities. Um, there's always going to be value in understanding data and being able to sift through it quickly um, and to be able to sift through it smartly. Um, so I think. Um, it's not going to be a sad pad. It's been around, you know, the field of NMP has been around for a while. It's just getting uh, more and more prominent. Um, so in terms of industries, so Primer works in a number of industries. So I, I said it a little bit earlier, anywhere there are analysts working with text data, we work. So um, this is tech, right? Uh, this is intelligence. If you care about looking at what's happening in, in a region or with a particular conflict, um, so, so you can help make reports and decisions. Um, finance, right? If you care about, I want to know everything there is to know about company X, Y, or Z, because I might want to invest in them, um, anything like that. Um, that's, there's an enormous corpus of information that could help, you know, uh, if we can summarize and smartly pull out the key information and the key conflicts, that's very important. Um, so that makes sense with analysts, but it actually goes much, much more than that in terms of the industries we work with, right? We work with um, consumer goods, we work with pharma, we work with um, brands, right? You may care about what your competitors are doing. You may care about how your, your company is being portrayed in, in you know, the media and the news, um, in internal documents, et cetera. Um, so those are a couple of big um, industries we currently work in. Um, healthcare was brought up. There's a lot of work in the NLP healthcare space. Um, uh, other industries that, that may come even more in the future, right? Um, education, right? How can we get, um, how can we process some of the, the information we currently have to better help students learn, to better help um, students um, uh, work is a big one. Or the kind of meta industry that may, may come out and, and be um, impacted is, is things like journalism, right? <laughs> so uh, if, we can help, if we can help there, provide basis of information, provide um, uh, some places to start for writing and, and things like that as well. Um, moral of the story is text data is everywhere in all sorts of different domains and there's inherent value in being able to search over it, structure it, understand it a lot faster so that you can dive in uh, deeper. Um, so I think it's going to continue to grow in scope um, and there, there, there's tons of research coming out so it'll continue to be applications powered not just by that, but some of the solutions we already have out um, as we apply them in different places. Okay. Um, so this next question that was submitted was one that I found especially interesting. Um, this person said, what do you think about ambiguity in NLP injury and what are the most common solutions to that ambiguity? Yeah, this is a great question. Uh, I like this question a lot. So, um, I talked a little bit earlier about, you know, well, first, yeah, let's, let's um, talk a little bit more about what that ambiguity is in this space, right? 
I, I mentioned earlier summarization, right? Um, what I think is a great summary of, of this article might be very different than, than what you think is a very uh, good summary of this article. Um, and uh, what, you know, the, the bits of information I'm trying to, to get out of it and what I think this is about might be very different person to person. Um, and so, you know, whereas it may be um, blatantly obvious that a, a document about insurance is about healthcare, or, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it is. I, it's, it's, there's some fuzzy lines and fuzzy edge cases about when we can say um, uh, these, these, these NLP solutions are especially because we have this thing, which depending on your, your life history, your interests, your biases, right, you might have slightly different interpretations of. So, um, this happens with summarization, this happens with categorization, this happens with classification, happens with sentiment, right? When I see a sentence, um, you know, there's some that maybe everybody in the world will think are positive, right? Uh, positive sentiment. But there are many that actually, depending on the interpretation, depending on the setting, depending on actually what I, what I took interest of in that sentence, I might actually think are, 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 you know, negative and you might think positive or vice versa. So there's a lot of different kind of, um, ambiguity and subjectivity to, to NLP, um, both the core building blocks and definitely how it's brought up and uh, in a, in a um, product set. So um, what, I, what I'll say is when, when you're you know, thinking about it from a product perspective, as opposed to maybe a core NLP building block, um, the, the very first thing that you can do to start, to start thinking about solutions to this is to understand the use case um, and the definition your customers want, right? So um, it's, it's um, really, really important that you understand, you know, if I'm writing uh, summaries for a literature class, maybe I want them to be flowery and maybe I want them to have uh, huge amounts of detail and, you know, uh, the, the quality of the writing is actually super important. Um, but if I'm writing summaries for somebody who wants kind of, um, you know, just a, a financial analyst who wants just give me the, the give me the, the, the high level things that happened here, right? That, those could end up in very different places, right? So understanding what sort of algorithm you want and what the use case is and what the, the definition is your customer is expecting. So that's really important. If it turns out that all of your customers want very different things, right? Um, we, we can start talking about customizable solutions. And so um, from a model building perspective, maybe this is transfer learning. Maybe it's, there's, you know, a big base model that handles um, a lot of the work and you, you basically generate little tiny data sets to, to fine tune the model to be um, slightly different in slightly different use cases, right? Maybe, maybe that's an approach. Um, uh, so, so that's one potential option. The other things you should think about, right? Ambiguity has to be addressed in many places in your pipeline, right? So let's start as early as data labeling, right? If, if I um, send out this, a whole bunch of data to be labeled to tell my model, this is what I want you to learn, um, and everybody gives different answers, we're gonna end up confusing the model and giving noisy signals and not understanding the patterns we really wanna learn. Um, so enumerating the edge cases in the, the data labeling process, looking for consensus, looking for these kind of um, clear signals and understanding what we should do in, in certain edge cases um, is a very important part of that process. Um, so that's one, one thing you can do. Second thing you can do is you can look at aggregations at later parts in the pipeline, right? So often a lot of NLP, um, building blocks, right, or run on a single document, right? You can run it against, you know, one article, 
um, to find a summary, or you can run it against um, one article to find um, the people there, right? And so you can start making assumptions about, about the information we got from there, um, you know, attributes we've extracted, um, relationships we've extracted, things like that. Um, and you can store, store that information, right? Great. Um, but if you have a whole bunch of documents, you can hide over some of the, the ambiguity by looking at kind of the consensus, right? If you get this information a lot, right, we have some understanding of that. And if things are set a slightly different way in which the model gets a much clearer signal, right, we can, we can use that um, knowledge that across documents, um, clusters, uh, across document clusters, and across um, different language types and things like that, we can come up with a much stronger signal if we, we look at, you know, kind of aggregations. Um, so those are a couple approaches. Another approach that's, that's less um, focused on actually some of the NLP or the NLP out, uh, output, right, comes with, um, that we use at Primer a lot, right, is um, how we actually display the information, right? So one of the problems with a lot of uh, machine learning and, and AI and deep learning in particular, right, is that it's not always explainable why you got the answer you got, right? Um, and so if you're, um, you know, kind of showing in the product just kind of the output of a, a bunch of models, right? Um, it, you can maybe lose some of the um, understanding for why. Um, but so one, one thing we've done throughout our product is always made the source information from where we got uh, either those classifications, those summaries, et cetera readily available um, and so this means, you know, it could still be ambiguous but user kind of information about where it came from so that they can read themselves not necessarily have it explained why we chose what we chose but have that information there to, to, to kind of um, be a point of, of maybe why it could have thought uh, certain things were true. Excellent. Uh, we did have another question come in in the chat thread while you were um, finishing with this one. Uh, Yenny had asked, does your team process emoji text? And if so, how? Uh, so, so that's actually really interesting. We actually don't right now, but um, uh, it's, it's um, not inconceivable. And for things such as sentiment, right, actually could be very powerful, right? Um, uh, thinking about, you know, tweets or, or even short snippets of text where there's a whole bunch of emojis. Um, maybe the emojis actually convey quite a bit more than, than the text itself. Um, so definitely, definitely worth uh, thinking about, but, uh, but as far as I don't know, we, we don't try to process them. It is slightly different. Well, it would have to be really kind of contextual, right? Like, I mean, I feel like unlike hieroglyphics, um, emojis tend to be used in situations of, you know, irony or humor or sarcasm or, you know, they have multiple meanings. I'm always really fascinated, um, depending on the, the, pro the project I'm working on, where I take an emoji out of one context into another and instead of giving me the picture, it gives me whatever it's named. And I'm like, that's the name of that? No, it's, it's you know, it's like, it's not praying hands, it's high five or whatever. Um, so it's, it's always really interesting to me to find out what they were actually called, but you're right. It would be, you know, really difficult to kind of parse that out given that they have so many different applications. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. Thanks for submitting that, Yenny. Um, Rosie is asking, as far as NLP applications in the government sector, have you had any exposure to what those might be? Yeah. So, so Primer does work um, with, with some uh, government agencies. 
Um, and there are plenty of NLP applications um, there as well, right? So um, uh, I mentioned kind of one, one thing, one field that, that we um, support, right, is intelligence, right? So if you have a whole bunch of reports about a certain area, a certain conflict, um, certain kind of people, uh, building uh, briefings of what's happening in that part of the world is incredibly important across a number of government agencies. Um, uh, you know, there, you know, government in particular has a, has a big uh, briefing culture, right? So the fact that you have to parse and uh, write text is not surprising. Um, and so uh, there are plenty of NLP applications in, in that space as well. Very cool. Um, all right, so we only have seven minutes left in today's chat. Um, so let me see if we can get through the last of the two questions that we had pre-submitted for you. Um, again, people, please feel free to share your questions or comments if you'd like. We will try and make sure I get to everybody. Um, this person wanted to know, what are some examples of things you wish you had known or learned earlier? Yeah, this is a great, great question. Um, yeah, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep these, these few uh, a little shorter so that way we can, we can wrap on time and everybody can get back to their work. But basically, I think the gist of it will be if you like these ideas and you're excited by the impact on society it could have to, to, to be able to have machines help read and write, right? You don't actually have to be an NLP expert. You don't have to know machine learning. You don't have to need, um, you know, know a whole bunch of deep learning, right? You can come in from a number of different backgrounds. And NLP itself is not, you know, is not just kind of deep learning models. There's a number of different manifestations. There's a whole bunch of linguistics-based approaches, rules-based approaches. There's classic uh, machine learning. There's, you know, kind of deep learning. And that's just for getting kind of that initial text processing. But there's the whole system that needs to be built around it. And I, I highlighted some of those points before. But it's really, if this, this is a paradigm that, that excites you, um, you, don't, you don't need to know uh, state-of-the-art. Uh, deep learning model research, right? <laughs> so I think that's the number one thing to keep in mind. Um, and that having a diversity of, of skills and backgrounds, particularly when you have such subjective um, kind of uh, ambiguous um, kind of uh, uh, goals in a lot of these NLP tasks, is actually really beneficial to have a diverse background of diverse um, experiences um, and, uh, you know, coming from a bunch of different kind of applications uh, externally can help bring um, new practices there that is really, really helpful considering the ambiguity involved. Awesome, thank you for sharing that. Um, all right, to round us out here, we do have a longer question, but um, hopefully not too, uh, too um, you know, uh, untackleable, I guess. Um, this person wants to know, given the engineering complexity of NLP and machine learning architectures, what approach do you and your team use for implementing deployable NLP systems? For instance, how do you decide when and what level to use open source tools versus building your own custom tools? Yeah, this is a great question and also uh, a really hard question, right? In the sense that uh, if, if you always knew the right answer to this, then, then, then um, things, would, things would be easy. And it's always going to be, there's, all, there's, I mean, some cases where it's slam dunk, you know, you should use open source. In some cases, slam dunk, you need to build it yourself. Um, but most of the time, if you're asking this question, it's because it's hard, right? It's because there are trade-offs involved. Um, and so a couple of the questions I like to ask um, myself or whoever's involved in, the, in these decisions, right? When you, when you think about um, uh, running into this trade-off of, of build versus buy or build versus use external, right? Um, is first and foremost, uh, right, what is, 
how how certain are you of the the needs and requirements right is this a is this a an experimental approach at the here at the beginning are you are you in a prototyping phase right or do you know kind of with what certainty do you know the requirements that that the system will need to face right um, great place to know, right? Great place to, to, to think about of, of how certain you'll, you know you'll need certain features or how much of that is still open um, and up in the air. Uh, second thing, obviously, is kind of performance of, of open source solutions, right? Compared to those, those requirements you may have, right? Um, uh, great thing to check, right? Um, and especially as you're considering making that trade-off, um, the, the counter side to the performance of the open source is the not only the cost of building uh, a, a um, custom tool, right, but the cost of maintenance, right? And that's, that's where it always comes in to get, to, to get you, right? Is not only do you have to build the, the custom tool, but you'll also have to keep it running, right? You'll have to keep it um, you know, up to date and you'll have to be able to extend it. So um, what sort of investment you wanna make there? And so the last question I'd use as a guideline for, for addressing these sorts of situations are, is this an area um, you want to differentiate in, right? So um, if this is for a particular feature, right? Um, if it's not a, a super important feature to your product, if it's a nice to have that is, you know, kind of a custom ask for, for not a custom ask, but a, a, a slightly less um, key feature for your product or for your users, right? Maybe it doesn't make sense to build something custom for that because it's not something that's important that you differentiate. But if this is core to kind of uh, your value proposition as a, as a product, right, it may be worth um, making sure that, that you have the ability to, to control and, and build and iterate and extend solutions uh, that, that require custom, custom tooling, right? Um, and so I think, I think those are kind of the three main questions I'd keep in mind when, when, when abutting this, this dilemma. All right. Well, we have come to about the end of our, our uh, time here today. It always goes too quickly, but Catherine, I just want to say thank you so much um, for joining us to share your wealth of knowledge, um, as well as tell us more about Primer AI. Um, the one question I do want to leave you with, um, what is your favorite part about working at Primer? Yeah, so I think I think that's a great question, and I, it may be it may be a, a cliche answer, but I do love the people I work with, and I'm sure um, uh, you know the many many um, people and companies will say that. But um, I think Primer has built an, an exceptional team of people who are curious and obsessed with better and um, excited about um, bringing bringing not only kind of interesting new techniques in NLP, but but making products that are engaging and, and serve, serve our customers. So it's been a really exciting experience. As I said, I work with a lot of people from, from diverse backgrounds, which is also a lot of fun uh, to see how things are done in other, other spaces. Um, and so it, uh, that is probably my favorite part. And yes, we're hiring lots across the board. So if these you know, kind of um, challenges excite you, I'd encourage you to reach out um, uh, either to me directly on LinkedIn or apply straight to Primer if you have, if you're just so excited you're sold already. But um, thank you all for, for coming today and uh, participating in this chat online and all the great questions. Absolutely, thank you so much to everybody who came today. Um, I have put the links back in the chat so you can um, follow directly to Primer's page on Power to Fly. You can check out their open roles there. Um, I've also re-included um, both the links to our upcoming virtual chats. So what we've got going on in this next, um, this next week, as well as um, the links to where you can connect with uh, Catherine on LinkedIn. So thanks so much everybody. 
and looking forward to seeing more of you on upcoming chat and learns. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks, Marty.